wonderful song, wonderful truth to meditate on. I had someone ask me recently, what should I do after, our, after I sin? And one of the answers I would give, of many other things, would be meditate on good truth. And one of the ways to do that is by listening to good songs. So go to YouTube and listen to His Mercy is More, or Christ is Mine Forevermore, or All People That on Earth Do Dwell, or How Rich a Treasure We Possess, and then the other two that we'll sing later on. These are songs that you should be humming to yourself and glorying in throughout the week, even after you have sinned, especially after you have sinned. And so uh, this is part of what it means to follow Christ, is that when we sin, we get back up and meditate on the gospel again and deeper and longer and keep going deeper in the gospel, keep going in the gospel period. So I thank you, Clayton, for choosing such good songs for our faith, building our faith, and helping us minister with the end in view. And that is the theme of our sermon for today. So please take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is where we will be both today and next Sunday, next Sunday verses 9 through the end of the book, through the end of the chapter as well as the book. Uh, So next week we'll conclude this series and then pick back up in Luke after that. The message of 2 Timothy is that we as Christians must guard the gospel faithfully despite spiritual opposition and suffering. And Paul has described both the suffering and the opposition, the suffering that comes through opposition at times throughout this book. And our passage today exposes us to the thinking of a man on his deathbed, so to speak. And maybe you've read the famous last words of various people throughout history. Essentially, these are Paul's last words that we have here in this chapter. And so uh, he knew his end was near. He knew the end was near. So his own personal life was coming to an end, but he was also aware of the fact that he was living in the last days just as we are living in the last days. And there's a right way to think while living in the last days, whether you know you're going to die soon or you think you might or you think you might not, but you should still be ready for that anyway. Paul never lost the perspective that he was living in his last days and we are living in the last days as well. So let me read 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. About eight years ago, this time of year or so, uh, 
our family moved to Anniston, Alabama, and one of the neighboring towns to Anniston was a town called Oxford, and some of our closest friends in our church there lived in Oxford, and so we drove uh, down toward their house one Sunday after church to have lunch with them. And on the way uh, down, their, down toward their house, I believe this was the first time I had passed on this road, this particular road, I noticed a property along the, the left side of the road in the direction we were going where there was a beautiful fence out along the road. And uh, it was ornate wrought iron fence with stately red brick pillars every 15 or 20 yards or so. It just looked like something almost like White House worthy. Like this is what you would expect to see, you know, kind of outside of a beautiful mansion. But as I drove along, you know, maybe 100 yards of this beautiful fence, I also realized there were no sides to the fence. It was just along the front of the road, so that meant it wasn't keeping anything in or out. And there was also nothing behind the fence. It was just a grass field. Now, in the middle, there was a beautiful gate, again, beautiful wrought iron, custom-made probably, and uh, looked like it was ready for some beautiful, ornate house to be behind it, but at that point, there was nothing. Well, over time, we lived there for almost six years, and every time I passed by that property, nothing had changed. It was still just a useless fence, not keeping anything in, not keeping anything out, not protecting the people who lived behind it because no one lived behind it. I figured that over time, perhaps the owner of that house had uh, fallen on hard times, or uh, owner of that property, I should say, had fallen on hard times and just simply couldn't afford to go on. Perhaps the person had even died, but at the very least, there's got to be a story in there somewhere, right? That fence didn't grow out of the ground. It hadn't been there forever. Somebody put that fence there for some reason, had gotten started on something and then had given up at some point. Did they start well and then fail to finish the job? We all know from experience and just from observation that it is far easier to start well than to end well. And we know it's just as important to finish well as it is to end well. No one's going to say uh, or that it's just as important to, to end well as it is to, to start well. No one's going to say, well, you should just not care at the beginning and only care at the end. We should say, you should care at both the beginning and the end, start and finish. It's better to be in first place in October than to be in April, be in first place in April, but it's still good to be in first place in April. It doesn't hurt anything. Uh, we, we appreciate those who have been married for five years. That's good. And it's even better if you've been married for 45 years and you've stuck out those really hard moments that come in a, in a long relationship. It's good to like a job for the first few weeks. It's better to do a faithful job for years and years uh, rather than just, you know, it, it, it's better to like it at the beginning than to hate it at the beginning but it's better to keep going in it as well to the very end, to stick it out through thick and thin rather than hopping around waiting for that perfect job to show up, the one with the most likable coworkers and the best benefits. You should want good coworkers. It's good to have nice benefits, but it's better to stick it out rather than just hopping around job after job. It is easier to start well than to finish well in all the aspects of our lives, and that includes ministry. And in this passage, Paul was wrapping up his own ministry, but he knew Timothy wasn't just wrapping up, unless providentially hindered, he was not just wrapping up his ministry. And so where Paul was saying, look, I started well and finished well, follow my example, 
And Timothy, now you do the same and set the example for other people. You keep going well. Keep going in the Gospel and keep the Gospel going. In this passage, Paul reminds Timothy and us of an important truth. And perhaps you notice that both the beginning and the end of our passage emphasize this truth that Jesus Christ, the judge, will return soon. That's the truth that Paul wanted Timothy to just latch onto and not let go of. And the response to that truth that Timothy should have and that we should have as 21st century Christians is to serve him faithfully to the end. Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, will soon return. We don't know how soon. Paul thought it was soon. We think it's soon. We just don't know how to define soon, right? How long is that that soon? But regardless of how soon or how long till Christ returns, faithfully serve Him till the very end. Don't give up now. Don't just hop around from here to there. Run the race faithfully. And your question that you should ask then is, how? How do I run faithfully, right? That's the, the question that you should ask, and that's the question that Paul answers for us. And I'm going to give you six ways to faithfully run to the end, to faithfully serve Christ to the bitter end, however bitter it may be and however soon it may come. And the first is in verse 1, as you would expect, and that is to maintain an awareness of whom you serve. You serve God faithfully. You keep the gospel going faithfully, and you keep going in the gospel faithfully by maintaining an awareness of whom you serve. You're serving in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus. You're serving in the awareness that He is going to come again, His appearing, and in the awareness that His kingdom is over all. So in all of this, maintain an awareness of whom you serve. This charge, which Paul described elsewhere in 1 Timothy, uh, uh, that Timothy received, is in God's presence. And his ministry is in God's presence as well. Keep that in mind. It's not just that you begin your ministry with God watching. It is that everything you do is with God watching. And perhaps this seems odd to you that Paul is talking about the fact that, that Timothy is in God's presence because ultimately we could say Timothy was in the presence of people. And that sounds a little weird, but we need to remember that we as Christians are living in two worlds. We're living in two places. We're living before two audiences. So yes, we should maintain an awareness that other people are watching your life, which is why Paul tells Timothy to not let people look down on your youthfulness in 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let people consider what you say to be of less value because of how you live. So there is that element of remember there are people watching you. But then there's also the element of remember that God is watching you. And can you think back on any time this past week where if you had maintained an awareness of the fact that God was watching, that you were living in the presence of God, can you think of a time where you would have done something differently or said something differently or said something different? Not just that you used a different tone, but you used different words. Maybe that you would have used your time doing this rather than that. Or you would have spent your money at this in this way rather than that way because you are aware of the presence of God, that you're serving in God's presence. So maintain an awareness of whom you serve by remembering the significance of who called you 
and by remembering what Christ will do. Here in verse 1, He is the one who will judge the living and the dead, the truth that we affirmed in the Apostles' Creed earlier. And I asked myself this question this week, is He talking about spiritually living and spiritually dead? And I don't think that He is. I think He's specifically referring to those who are living, who are actually walking around on the earth at the moment that Jesus returns. And He's talking about all those who are dead, who have gone before us. Maybe you've gone to a place where there are lots of statues, maybe some kind of a museum or some kind of uh, you know, a chamber where there are statues of people's you know, faces. Maybe you've gone to the Hall of Fame and the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, or the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and you see these busts of people's faces. But if you go to some particular statues, so let's say you go over to Rome or, or Greece or someplace like that, you see statues, and what do all those statues have in common the people that they're celebrating by memorializing them with these statues are all dead and have been dead for quite some time. And that's not necessarily the case in the Baseball Hall of Fame or the Football Hall of Fame or others, but it will be the case pretty soon. You know, hang on for a couple more decades and everybody in the Hall of Fame at that point will be dead. And this is simply a sobering reminder that one day you will be dead too. Someday people are going to walk through a cemetery and see your name on a gravestone. I'm sorry to have to revert back to a year ago when we were preaching through Ecclesiastes. Just death, 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 you know. Vanity of vanities, all of us are going to pass away, and here we are talking about death again. What I'm trying to say is remember your finiteness, that you are going to die. And so perhaps you have gone weeks or months without really thinking about that. Maybe even years without really thinking about the fact that you too will die. And perhaps you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're wondering why we're even talking about life and death right now. And it's because we believe as Christians that we are living in two worlds. But that one day we will not be living in this world anymore. We'll be living in a better world as Christians. But if you're not in Christ, you have not repented of your sin, and put your hope in Christ alone, you will not be living in a better world. You will be living in hell. And there is no way to accurately, rightly read the Bible and come to any conclusion other than that there is eternal conscious torment for those who are rebellious against God and unwilling to repent of their sin. And so now is a great time. Today is a great day to repent of your sin and turn in faith to Christ if you have never done that. If you have done that, rejoice in the fact that Christ himself has paid for your sin. And at some point this past week, my son Andrew said something to Clarissa like, you know, on the day that we die for our sin, da 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 and Clarissa goes, hold on, Andrew, Jesus died for our sin. And Andrew, who's surely heard this hundreds of times by now, goes, oh, well, that was nice of him. <laughs> and I would say, yes, it was. And you should have that same response. <laughs> And sing, praise the Lord, His mercy is more, because He did pay for all your sin. He is the righteous judge, but if you are in Christ, He has died for your sin, and it was indeed very nice of Him. And so rejoice in the fact that Christ will come in glory and in judgment, and that He will come to appear to establish His kingdom. He will create the new heavens and the new earth. He will bring the new heavens and the new earth. And we will live there with Him in glory forever, never being bored with Him. And one of the audiobooks I've been listening to recently is by Andy Davis, who's coming to speak in a few weeks here. It'll be wonderful, I assure you, not because he's 
sinless. He's just a, a great preacher. He's gone through some great ministry hardships. He was saved in a glorious way, and I can't wait for you to hear his testimony. But all I'm saying is, uh, he wrote a book called The Glory Now Revealed, and we had some copies out on the table. They're not there anymore, so I assume some of you are benefiting from it. But one of the things he's talking about, one of the, the aspects of, uh, that he's writing about in that book is how will we live forever in heaven and never be bored? And if you've wrestled with that and thought like, oh, this sounds like a nightmare actually, like to never, you know, never have something to look forward to. Well, that's the thing is he's saying there, there are things to look forward to. This is a glorious place because it's a glorious God that we serve. So I encourage you to pick up that book called The Glory Now Revealed. If it's not on the table anymore, which I'm pretty sure it's not, it's available on Westminster Books or some other place as well. But the fact is that Christ will appear to establish his kingdom. So maintain an awareness of whom you serve. You serve a glorious God. You serve a glorious Christ. In verse 2, how do I run the race faithfully? How do I maintain an awareness of the fact that the end will soon come? And how do I faithfully run to the end? Let the Bible do the work. Obviously, the most specific application was to Timothy himself and then to all of us preachers who come after him. But there are applications for all of us here. And so what Paul urges Timothy to do here, this this charge that he talks about in verse 1, is what he says here at the beginning of verse 2. Preach the word. Here's the command that you need to do. Here's the way you run to the end. Preach the word. Preach it faithfully. And you might be thinking... Well, I'm not a preacher, so how does this help me at all? Well, for one thing, you go to a place where there is preaching. And I talked about this last week, so I don't mean to be redundant, but perhaps you weren't here last week, or perhaps you were asleep last week, or perhaps you just forgot last week. So here it is again. When you have a decision to make about where you're going to move to, what church you're going to transfer your membership to, where you're going to join in the first place, choose the church where they preach the Word faithfully. Not necessarily the place where they have the best parking lot, though for at least one week we have that too. So that helps. But I will say, eventually it's not going to be that way. Somebody's going to pave their parking lot next week and we're going to be in second place. So pick the place where they preach the word most faithfully. And that means that these words that come after the phrase preach the word are in effect week after week. This one that says be ready in season and out of season means preach the word when it's popular and when it's not popular. When people want to hear it and when people don't want to hear it. You tell them the truth even if it hurts, even if it affects our relationships. You tell the truth again and again. You preach the word. You preach all that God has said. And what is that word? It's what he's referring to back in chapter 3, verse 16. This scripture that's been breathed out by God. That is a gift from God himself. And that word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, which is why now Paul says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And what I'm saying to you is that every time you open the Word of God, so you don't even necessarily need a preacher for this, every time you read the Word of God yourself, you need to be reproved, you need to be rebuked, and you need to be encouraged. So don't just look for, in the Word for... I've sinned and I need to beat myself up, so I'm the, you know, look for a passage that reproves me and rebukes me. You know, let's talk about some of that thinking another time. But yes, we, our hearts do need to be reproved and rebuked, but our hearts also need to be encouraged. But sometimes we only want to be encouraged and we want to ignore the parts that kind of cut against the way we're thinking right now. We need that as well. We need the reproving, the rebuking, and the encouraging all at the same time. 
And when Paul writes that Timothy should preach the word this way with complete patience and teaching, he's remembering again, the word does the work. You could have somebody who preaches with amazing oratorial skills and you never want to stop hearing him preach because he's just so good at speaking in public. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for the person who's going to preach the Word because what does the work is the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, not somebody who can just use fancy words and sound very well-educated behind the pulpit. So the Word works through preaching, but the Word works behind the scenes. And so your job is, as someone who shares the Gospel with other people perhaps, is to be patient with complete patience. Paul urges Timothy Wait for the Lord to work in His time and in His way. And maybe that's going to mean you're praying for the same person for decades. Maybe that's going to mean you're giving the same gospel message to your children or to your grandchildren or your nephews and nieces for weeks and months and years and not trying to pin them down and get them converted today so that they can have some kind of sense that they're going to die and go to heaven when they die. Well, Obviously, we want people to have that security, but I could convince my child that they should play football in Northwestern. That's probably not a good idea, considering my children's body types and personalities and things like that. All I'm saying is we can convince children to do all kinds of things. We probably don't need to nail them down on praying a prayer at the age of four or five or something. Instead, we need to be patient and let the Word of God do its job while the Holy Spirit does His job. And so our job is to be patient, and our job is to be thorough, which is why Paul says, with complete teaching. So complete patience and complete teaching, which simply means you teach the whole counsel of God. And um, people have frequently asked me, you know, what are you preaching through right now? And the long answer right now is, well, I'm basically preaching through Luke, but I'm taking a quick break to preach through 2 Timothy. And the reason I wanted to do that is Luke is a super long book. And I wanted to remind you that there are 65 other books of the Bible, And we need every one of them. So listen for the whole counsel of God and read the whole counsel of God. And perhaps that will mean that you you look online for a good Bible reading program or something like that that takes you to different parts of the Bible, different genres of the Bible at different times of the year. But let the Bible do the work. That's what it looks like to faithfully serve God to the end. Third is be realistic about the human condition. People hear what they want to hear, is what Paul tells us in verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, and that basically means healthy teaching, like you have sound health if you go to your doctor and he says, look, your blood all, all your blood work came back perfectly, your heart is in rhythm, all these things are checking out well, you're of sound health. Here's sound teaching means that it's healthy teaching, that the Word of God is doing its job, but there are people who don't want to hear it. They're not going to endure it. They're not going to patiently listen to it. Why? Because they have itching ears. It's kind of like they just want someone to kind of tickle them with a feather or something like that. Don't actually penetrate into the ear and let it get into the heart. Just tell me what I want to hear. And it's kind of the idea of when you go to a buffet. I heard a, a friend preach on this passage at one point in the past, and he talked about how he likes to go to buffets because you get to pick out what looks good to you, and if there's a vegetable you don't want, you don't have to take it. But you know what? What we get at buffets is usually not as good for us as a full-course meal that someone like a dietitian has thoughtfully put together for us, knowing that we need our broccoli as well as our protein as well as, and you could go on. 
And uh, see, I'm not a dietitian. That's why I didn't know what else to say there. So what I'm saying is God is the one who knows what you need. And the best diet is just to take in the whole counsel of God, which is why we preach one book after another here. And why we believe that the way that God orders a passage of Scripture is itself inspired. So we just take a chunk of Scripture after a chunk of Scripture or a book of Scripture after a book of Scripture and let God do the work through His Word because He laid it out the way He did. And He didn't just say, here's a buffet, take what you want and leave the rest. So people hear what they want to hear. This means then that they uh, won't endure sound teaching. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers, just kind of like stacking one on top of another, kind of like a hoarder, the way that they save their JCPenney catalog year after year. You just accumulate stuff. They accumulate teachers who suit their own passions. What that tells us is that we all have custom lusts. You know that? Your, your lust system is different than somebody else's. Some people are really, really eager to get the newest piece of technology, and other people don't care at all about that, but they are really eager to read the newest New York Times bestseller, and we are all made differently. We all have different ways of thinking and all different belief systems uh, behind our belief systems. So, like, we have the minutia that we don't even realize we believe that affects the way we think and what we love, and Paul says that these people want teachers who are going to suit their own passions. And it's really easy to do this today, to find people who are going to say what you want them to say. You just YouTube the right kind of people or listen to the podcast of the right kinds of people and all of a sudden you've accumulated teachers who say what you want them to say. And you never actually have to be convicted about your sin or confronted with an unbiblical worldview because you're just listening to the people who already agree with what you're saying. I hope that is not the case when you come here. I'm not trying to step on your toes every week, but I think the Holy Spirit generally steps on our toes when we read a passage of Scripture and apply it and interpret it rightly. So people will accumulate, then they will turn away from listening to the truth. They're just going to turn their back on what faithful preaching is available to them, and then they're going to wander off into myths. So there's almost a process here that, that Paul is laying out. Because you have these itching ears, you just want to hear a particular kind of message, you do three things. You accumulate false, false teachers, basically, is what he's talking about, but people who are going to say what you want them to say. Then you're going to turn away from listening to the truth, then you're going to wander off into myths. And the question you want to ask at that point is, what myths am I likely to believe based on the teacher's that I listen to. And maybe those teachers you listen to are the articles you read online or in the Chicago Tribune or the podcasts you listen to or the cable news channel that you have on in the background throughout the day. What teachers are influencing you in such a way that you are then not able to hear the Word of God and let it do its work? What myths are you susceptible to? Perhaps the myth you're susceptible to is that holiness is irrelevant. Maybe someone's convinced you of that. It's irrelevant or it's subjective. I mean, frankly, your, your holiness isn't the same as my holiness. Your truth isn't the same as my truth. Let's just go with what the Bible says. Plain and simple. Perhaps the myth that you are tempted to believe is that there are many ways to God. This whole I am the way, the truth, and the life system that's outdated, that's outmoded, there's so many other options, that's hate speech. No, it's not. This is love. 
This is truth. God is the judge of what is truth and what is error. So that is a myth to say that there are many ways to God. The myth that marriage, the definition of marriage, is open to whoever wants to define it however they want to define it. Or that there are countless genders and it's hateful to believe that God made male and female. These are myths that you could easily find on your phone, in your pocket, right now, by going to the right YouTube channels. And you watch enough of those things, and all of a sudden what I'm saying right now sounds like a myth itself. And so then you go off to another church. And I'm not saying that everybody who goes to another church has wandered off into myths. I am saying we are all prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And what happens when we stop hearing the Word of God preached is we accumulate for ourselves teachers who scratch our itching ears, and then we turn away, and then we wander away. And it's a process that the Holy Spirit is seeking to avoid by telling you this truth right here. But it's a process that the evil one wants to dull your ears to by making the voices of the other teachers outside of the Word of God louder in your ears. So we, as those who seek to maintain biblical ministry all the way to the end, need to be aware of what the human condition is need to be reminded and be realistic about the human condition. People hear what they want to hear, and people refuse to hear what God says. And that's dangerous. And so we need to keep going one step at a time, doing one right thing at a time. And that's what verse 5 tells us to do. If you want to walk faithfully to the very end and serve, minister with the end in view, do the next right task. Do what is right today, and do what is right tomorrow, and do what is right next week, And do what is right next year and keep doing the right thing one step at a time. Keep the right perspective. In verse 5, he says, always be sober-minded, which basically means don't get carried away. Have self-control. And Paul urges us to this in countless other places. He says to endure suffering. Don't run from the hard days. Don't run from the hard things. God custom designs trials for us to help us run to him not run away from him and not run away from the suffering so you want to ask yourself where do i run on my hardest days maybe i run to the gym maybe i run to the cheesecake factory maybe i run to the coffee shop or to the bar maybe i run to Good housekeeping. And you can just go on and on. What do you dole the pain with? And what Paul would say is, endure suffering. Keep going, even though it feels like you're trudging through quicksand. Keep enduring today. Do the next right task, which means being sober-minded, enduring suffering. It also means laying one brick at a time. How do you build a beautiful house? By laying one brick at a time. How do you run a marathon? By taking one step at a time. And what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do here, and what Paul is encouraging us to do here, is to take one step at a time. Drive one mile at a time. And that would mean share the gospel one person at a time, which is why Paul calls Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of telling the gospel to other people. That's all of our jobs. Sure, there were probably people who are There probably are people who are especially good at it, especially suited for it. But do the work of an evangelist. Tell the truth to sinners. Share the gospel that God became man so that he could die for us after living a perfect life. That he 
shed his blood for our sins and rose from the dead and lives in heaven and will return again. Tell that good news. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry, Paul tells Timothy to do. Paul tells us to do. Be faithful one day at a time. Lay that next brick. Take that next step. Do the next right thing. Fifth, almost done. Five out of six here. The fifth task is to carry the baton faithfully. The fifth way to run to the very end is to carry the baton faithfully. And what Paul is describing here is that his race is almost done. Like He's at the the point where the the transfer has to happen or it's going to be too late. And so he's handing the baton off to Timothy and he's saying, now you go carry the baton faithfully. He says, for me, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Using sacrificial language from the Old Testament here. Saying that my life is an offering before God. And this is language like Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I would encourage you to take that in and to memorize a passage like that. That our lives are, that we ourselves are living sacrifices. Our lives are not our own. We are bought with a price. We're here for God's glory, not for our own well-being and comfort. So his life is being poured out. He says, the time of my departure has come, which maybe he's kind of scribbling these thoughts out while the guards there are waiting to take him to his execution. The time of my departure has come, so I've done three things. I have fought the good fight, and he actually words it this way. The good fight, I've fought it. The race, I have finished it. The faith, I have kept it. So the emphasis is on those three aspects there. And as we talked about in chapter 2, what he's describing is what he called Timothy to do back in chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, 5 and 6. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now he talked about the, the, the soldier there as well. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. What he's saying is, I was that faithful soldier I was that faithful athlete who kept the rules. I was that faithful farmer who kept plowing, kept sowing seeds, and kept reaping the harvest. Sowing seeds, reaping the harvest, patiently waiting for the rain to come, rejoicing when the rain would come and then the sun would come, but you just keep doing the right thing day after day after day. Another pastor here yesterday uh, was, was just encouraging me and our church, saying just keep the perspective of an ant. An ant is not concerned with what's happening in some other neighborhood. He's not happening with what's happening above ground. He's putting his head down. He's carrying his crumb. He's helping build the infrastructure underground that no one else sees and no one else appreciates. But he realizes, I have one job, and I can't do everybody else's job, and I'm part of a bigger team. My kingdom, my anthill, is bigger than just anything that I can accomplish on myself. You just keep doing your job. And that's what I want to call us to do as Christians. Just keep carrying that crumb. Carry that gospel crumb. Maybe put that on a plaque out back behind the the auditorium here. Pastor Eric says, carry that gospel crumb. Maybe not make that your plaque. I'm just saying there are good uh, analogies for us to use, and it is encouraging to me to remember that I don't have to worry about what's happening in other places. I'm just going to keep doing the one little thing that God has called me to do. And that's what God is calling you to do as well. Can you come to the end of your life and say, I have fought the good fight? I have kept, I have run the race and finished it and I've kept the faith. When we come to the end of our lives, none of us are going to say, man, I wish I'd watched more Fox News. Really wish I had won more franchises on Madden. Really wish I had collected more, you know, stained glass pieces from some museum in France. Like, no one cares when they're on their deathbed 
what they collected, how much money is in their bank account, because you're going to die. And Paul is, sorry, there I go again. Michael, I apologize. Michael really hates it when I talk about death every week, and here I am. Just saying, lay one brick at a time. Do the next right thing. Carry the baton faithfully. So that's number five, carry the baton faithfully. And number six is anticipate the reward in verse eight. How do I keep going? You remember that there's a prize at the end and that all those who get to the end get the prize. What's the prize in verse eight? There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. But it's not just for me, he says at the end of verse eight. It's to all those who have loved his appearing, who have longed for Jesus to come back. Even so, come quickly. That's the end of the Bible. That's where the story ends, is this expectation of the, of the next world. The Bible is kind of carrying us over there into the next world by saying, even so, come quickly. And for all those who are praying that, that's your passion, is that God would get the glory by Jesus returning in glory and in judgment. And for all of those who have that perspective, there is a crown of righteousness, which is probably a crown that symbolizes that you have righteousness, which means that you are symbolizing the fact that Christ has given you His righteousness. And that's the reward, that you get to glorify Christ forever. Who gives you this crown? It is the Lord, the righteous judge. He's an impartial judge. He's not fickle. He doesn't have bad days. Who decides to get what prize based on how many stars are on your chart? He just is a faithful judge, and he's a righteous judge. And so, anticipate that reward. Anticipate the prize at the end of the race, and run hard until you get there. The ministry is not about what you do here and now, only. It is about living for a better world in a better time where there is no sin, no sorrow, no heartache, no more curse. We rejoice in God's glory forever. Let's close in prayer. Father, may we as Brainerd Avenue Baptist Church and as individual Christians as we go our separate ways guard the word faithfully despite the hardships that come our way, despite spiritual opposition, despite myths that are being propagated in our world. May we run the race faithfully, and may we so then win the prize that you, the faithful judge, will give us. In Christ's name, amen.